When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Wednesday from our downtown studio in Cleveland. And we've got a lot to get into today. The Browns won on Sunday, beating the Bengals 27-19. However, once again, a Browns win was smothered by developments happening off the field. First, there were the reports of Odell Beckham Jr. wanting out of Cleveland, which he addressed after the game. Also during the postgame, Baker Mayfield threw the Browns medical staff under the bus, which he later apologized for. You know, not to mention Cleveland heads to Arizona this Sunday to face the Cardinals team that just lost to the Steelers, which we'll also discuss. So clearly, there's a lot to get to. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my fellow Browns beat writers, Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. My friends, how are we doing? Uh, doing well. Doing great today. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. A little colder, not as cold as my friends back in Minnesota. I think it's not a, not even above zero right now, but... Uh, a little colder today, but we're, we're doing all right. So let, let's jump right into it. Um, overall, let's just give like a state of the union of this Browns team right now. Uh, the locker room, we, we've seen the locker room after the, the win Sunday. Uh, we got a little bit of locker room time Monday. Then, of course, today, a busy day in the locker room. Uh, I'll throw this to you guys. With three games left, obviously three pivotal games, playoff chances still possible but slim. Uh, where's this Browns team's head, head at right now? What is your guys' assessment of them? I would say that uh, there's just too much drama right now. When you look at this football team, you've got who was supposed to be one of your best offensive players in OBJ, reports everywhere saying that he wants out of the football team. Uh, not surprising to uh, the people that have covered him throughout this whole entire season because we stood right there in front of him on Thursday, and he alluded to, all of that when we talk to him. Uh, your best defensive player on this football team is nowhere to be found. Why? Because he's serving a six-game suspension for clubbing Mason Rudolph over the head. Uh, you're, one of your other best players on this football team, Baker Mayfield, is coming off of a week in which he is apologizing to the medical staff for throwing them under the bus. So, you know, there's just too much of that stuff, and it has overshadowed the fact that they have won four out of their last five games. And now, for all intents and purposes, they're out of the playoff hunt. Right now they have a a 3.5% chance of making the playoffs. We're saying there's a chance. (laughs) We're saying there's a chance. 4% if you uh, go by the New York Times predictor. Uh, So for all intents and purposes, that part of it's over. Uh, They're still making like they have a chance in the locker room. Of course, everybody that you talk to uh, says they just have to continue to go 1-0. But for the most part, uh, I think the, the tide has turned to thinking of, okay, what needs to happen uh, to fix what was a very disappointing season? It's it's what I wrote on Sunday after the game. The Browns have won four out of five, so why doesn't it feel like it? Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't – this doesn't feel like a team with you – know, a team that wins four out of five has a swagger to them, right? They've, mm-hmm. they've got this you – know, they're barreling towards the playoffs. They're making a run. They're confident. There's uh, – you know, they're, they're talking junk or whatever – this team just isn't, it doesn't feel like a team on a playoff run. It, it just feels like a team, 
you know, that locker room on Sunday was weird again. And of course, you know, we all remember after the Steelers game, how it felt like a losing locker room. And then, uh, you know, that effort against Cincinnati just wasn't great. I mean, they really needed an overturned non-call on a pass interference and kind of a miracle third down call on a little screen to Jarvis Landry to make sure that Cincinnati didn't have a chance to tie that football game up. So they're winning, but it just doesn't feel like they're winning things. It's just weird right now. Yeah, I mean, that that Bengals game, wow. The Bengals had the Browns on the ropes in that game. Yep. A 1-11 football team at the time came into First Energy Stadium, and they were up 13-7 to in the second quarter. Joe Mixon, their running back, who rushed for 146 yards in that game, leaves Cleveland thinking, wow, we were the better football team. I mean, yeah. it – I kept thinking the Browns lost that game. I mean, right. I just couldn't get, wrap my brain around the fact that they won that game for a number of reasons. Uh, so I think that uh, that was that was unfortunate. I actually felt like uh, you know the Bengals had a brighter future than I thought I would have thought right. heading into that game. Yep. And uh, and the Browns should have put them away. I I couldn't believe that they only ran the ball six times in the first half. Yep. Or that the running backs did. And uh, it just wasn't the kind of game that you would expect the Browns to play against the Bengals. And, and think about the Miami game a few weeks ago when the Browns just came out and just rolled the Dolphins and they were dancing and the crowd was into it and Jarvis was crawling like a dog in front of a camera. And I mean, it was just such a different feel and a different, I mean, that team was having fun. They were relishing the opportunity to just stomp a team that they're better than. And we didn't see that at all against Cincinnati. I just felt like there was no juice in that game from this Browns team. You know, I have to wonder, and I asked a lot of players this after the game, and I know you did as well, Dan. I mean, I have to wonder if the OBJ reports that that came out before the game, uh, the, the most damaging of which was Jay Glazer of Fox Sports basically saying that he has gone to opponents and said, come get me. Yeah. You know, I just wonder if, if that didn't sort of – uh, cast a pall over the Browns heading in. Now, a lot of those guys said, no, I didn't even know about it. You know, that had nothing to do with it. Um, but as you guys saw, once again, OBJ was very frustrated during that game. Uh, there were several times where, once again, the ball didn't come his way. Uh, you know, it just, when you have your superstar that isn't producing or isn't happy, I think it does spread throughout the team. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is starting to feel like fake love. Mm -hmm. uh, the first play of the game, for Browns offensive play, they throw that deep out to Odell Beckham Jr. And I remember mm -hmm. us looking at each other like, all right, they're yep. really going to try and milk this one. Right. And I think he had one more catch in the second quarter, and that was that. that you know, was so it. you make this effort to get in the ball right away and set a tone and a message like, no, OBJ, you're you're one of us. You're, you're a yep. Brown. You're in Cleveland. And then when the game gets away from Freddie Kitchens, as it has, whether it's getting back on the ball or just when he's off script, we've seen the, the offense flutter. It, it Clearly, Odell Beckham Jr. is not a, a focal point of this offense. And I thought Freddie said an interesting thing. I think it was Monday um, when he addressed that Odell Beckham Jr.'s personal or individual goals might not necessarily correlate with the best way for Cleveland to win. I thought that was the first time he really mm -hmm. showed us some cards a little bit there. Like, you know, we're trying to win, not have Odell Beckham Jr. get 1,500 yards, which, to your point, Mary Kay, shows that your star player isn't being treated like a star and getting the, the looks that he's earned throughout his career. 
And I think that is just bringing this team down as a whole, not to mention all the reports. And and Baker Mayfield didn't help after the game either. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've talked to enough people over the past week about OBJ and about, you know, what you need to do when you have a star like that on a football yeah. team. And in addition to winning, you have to keep those star players happy. You have to, because like I said before, if your star players aren't happy, then that's going to, going to filter out through the rest of your football team. You have to keep those guys happy. They're star players for a reason. They're pro bowlers for a reason. I remember, you know, even, even back in, in Miami, they fed the ball to Jarvis Landry right. all the time because they knew they had to keep him happy. If you have disgruntled star players, your locker room's going to be in trouble. And so in addition to all the other team goals that you you have you do have to make an effort to keep those guys happy not only for those reasons um, what what happens uh, currently in your locker room but you want other star players to want to come here and know they will be treated as such yeah I mean, I mean sidebar here but what do we think the wide receiver meeting room is like these days Odell Beckham <laughs> Jr a passionate Jarvis Landry and then of course the Richard Higgins thing which we've been following <laughs> this whole entire year which clearly he's just not going to see time on the field um, what he didn't play a single offensive snap this week, right? No, nope. he played one special one. team snap, and it was on the onside kick. Whew. Man, he, so just a <laughs> sure state of the union of the Browns, just that wide receiver room, in, specifically that had so much promise, so much hope going into this season. You know, potential Rashard breakout, Odell Beckham Jr. being who he is. Uh, Landry's having a, a a good individual season, and really has been the, carrying this team as a as a receiver, um, taking advantage of those one on one coverages, but. Man, it is a group that has, and there, there's so much persona there too, Mary Kay. So I think to your point that it is, it's got to be a trickle down effect here. When when their energy is low, it, it reflects on the team. Yeah, and if if OBJ isn't happy, Jarvis is going to be upset for right. him because he promised him that this was going to be good, that this situation was going to be great, that these two guys were going to come here together yeah. and lead the Browns to the playoffs and hopefully the Super Bowl, and so. When he has to stand up before the Seahawks game and call out the play calling because his best friend isn't getting the ball enough, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not good, right? Because then you've got two unhappy stars. Now, Jarvis is getting the ball, uh, but once again, if OBJ isn't happy, then Jarvis is going to be unhappy for him. And, you know, the we all thought it was going to be great, too. You know, they made that trade, and we all thought, oh, this offense is going to be unstoppable. Like, who, who's going to be able to shut all these weapons down? And somehow it, it's managed to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we are. There's three weeks left in the season, and we're still trying to figure out how Odell Beckham fits in this offense and, and how all these pieces fit together. And and even just looking at the sideline during the games, just, the, you know, the yeah. body language and just, you know, you have to be a little cautious with some of this stuff, but you don't see guys – you know, I, I can't think of the last time I saw like the offensive group huddled around the tablet. You know, with, mm-hmm. with somebody coaching them up. Part Great of that point. is part of that is your offensive coordinators in the booth, and Freddie is the head coach, so he's got to you know pay attention to the defensive side of things. And uh, you know, it's it's just again everything just seems a little bit off, and maybe that's just tinted by the fact that they aren't winning football games. And if they were winning, we wouldn't even think about this stuff. But things just feel off. Well, like you mentioned, as far as uh, body language and sideline behavior, there's a lot of jawing at the coach, okay? And that kind of stuff, you know, I know those things happen on every football team. There's heat of the moment and things like that. But you really shouldn't be able to actually see and hear 
offensive players yelling at Freddie Kitchens. And we see that. We see that. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I don't always see that happening on other football teams mm. where, where they feel like they have uh, the right or the authority to be barking at the head coach. And that's disturbing to me. And, and I think part of that is, like you said, you know, there are players in the doghouse on this football team. I still don't think David Njoku is in good standing with, with Freddie. Yeah. You know, Freddie had words with him after, um, after the interception yep. on that first drive. And, you know, David said something back to him. Um, you know, then you've got Odell yelling over to the sidelines. Yep. We saw Jarvis getting into it with Ryan Lindley in the previous game. Yep. So these kinds of things I find to be mildly disturbing. And one of the things that I would have done a long, long time ago, in fact, I asked the question after the first game, hey, why not give the play calling over to Todd Munkin and just see, <laughs> uh, you know, if that might not just change up the energy a little bit and shake things up a bit. And it's basically too late now, but I do wonder if that might not have been the way to go, but it would have happened, had to have happened way early on in the season. And the other thing too is, you know, a lot of these guys, this is John Dorsey's roster. Mm -hmm. So if these guys aren't happy with the head coach, you know, that's, that's not great for the head coach. Cause you know, obviously Rashard Higgins is not a guy John Dorsey drafted, but right. he is a guy that he brought back. David Njoku is not a guy that he drafted, but right. he has kept David Njoku around. Uh, you know, Njoku hasn't necessarily performed up to his draft status, but you know, I, I, it felt like John Dorsey had high expectations for him this season. And he, you know, you've got to make a decision at some point if it's a problem and you have to get rid of a guy. Great. But if you're getting rid of a guy for the wrong coach, that's when things, that's when your roster starts to go sideways a little bit. Yeah. And so it's to put a bow on this, it feels like for the state of the bronze right now, we've got, we've got strange, we've got turbulent uh, and a lot, can happen in these next three games which begs the question are these three games something where these guys are professionals and they're still gonna of course they're gonna come out and play but the browns have a good chance to win these games because of roster talent you know we won't talk about the ravens right now but specifically arizona and cincinnati roster talent will get them through these games or are we looking at a roster you know that's got their a locker room excuse me that has their head down and they might have a slip up here in Arizona or towards the end of the year to close it out with Cincinnati. Like are, are these guys, are they in a direction where they can win these games or is the talent just going to be enough to spite all the drama that's going on? I I think based on what we saw Sunday, they can certainly have a slip up. I mean, this Arizona is an NFL team. So, you know, yeah. so is Cincinnati though. Those are NFL. That's an NFL team. Those are NFL players. This is not a league where even if a team is, is tanking or something, you can't really tank you know these guys are playing for the next jobs they're they're playing for these short careers so every every sunday when you go out there you're going to get an nfl level effort from guys so uh we've seen this team lose games that they have no business losing you know to brandon allen uh to duck hodges um you know they they really didn't play well on sunday against cincinnati so i I wouldn't put anything past this team over these last three games you know the browns are going to go out there and, and give the effort they're supposed to give but it doesn't mean that Arizona can't beat them. It doesn't mean that they can't slip up against Cincinnati and lose that game. 
Go ahead, Mary Yeah, I think they'll play. I think they'll play hard all the way up until the end. I think there's enough guys on this team that that have that kind of heart and soul. I mean, you might find a guy here or there uh, that might be in not great standing with the team. That you know, you might there might be a bit of a drop off, a discernible drop off in their performance. But I think for the most part, they'll play really, really hard. And I think once again, when you have a Kareem Hunt and a Nick Chubb that you can just pound that ball uh, with and grind it out like that, I think they should be able to uh, at least beat the Cardinals and the Bengals again. Although, like we said, I I think the Bengals are going to make it difficult on them because they're going to have a little confidence heading into that game. But I think they'll win at least those two. I still think there's a slight chance that they could possibly surprise everybody and beat the Ravens. Probably won't happen. One of the only ways I think it could happen is if Lamar Jackson, for whatever reason, doesn't play in that game because he's got a quad injury right now and he is planning on playing on Thursday night. Now, he would have 10 days to rest up and heal the quad after that, um, you know, which is good for them. But if he goes out there and, and like, tears this thing or re-injures it, you know, you just never know what could happen. Yeah, and as you noted at the start of that, the Browns don't do much better against backup quarterbacks like Brandon Allen and Duck Hodges. So (laughs) (laughs) who knows with that Ravens game. Uh, Switching gears here, one thing in Arizona that this team should at least be um, excited about is they're facing another putrid defense. Uh, Arizona really can't stop the run. They've been terrible against the pass, even with Patrick Peterson coming back. They're still struggling. The Rams put up like 500 yards of offense on them. Jared Goff got like 424. So now here comes Baker Mayfield after a a game. You can't – look, it was strange with the Ninjoku thing and then the Mm -hmm. the pass interference pick that wasn't. like Maybe it just was a weird rhythm game for Baker Mayfield. But um, he's got to go into Arizona now and really take care of business or we're just going to – this story of Baker Mayfield's sophomore season is going to be – instead of the 25% increase mm-hmm. that John Dorsey wanted, we might be talking about it going the other way. So here's what I want to ask you guys. It's no secret that Baker Mayfield is playing worse than he was last year, especially at this time last year. This was when he was you know, lighting the league on fire and mm-hmm. setting the NFL rookie passing record. Simply, why is Baker Mayfield playing worse? And furthermore, what do you think it will take to change this going forward for Baker Mayfield? I think there's there's a few factors. I mean, teams are going to adjust, um, obviously, and I you know I think he's dealing with that a little bit. Uh, Mary Kay has pointed out a number of times that last season when the Browns made that run, they were not playing very good defenses. Uh, Carolina was absolutely brutal. They had Cincinnati twice, you know, the, and the good defenses they played, Houston and Baltimore, came away with six picks against Baker Mayfield. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably a part of it too. I think maybe Freddie Kitchens has gotten figured out. That might be a big, maybe the biggest part of it all that the teams kind of know Freddie Kitchen's uh, tendencies and and how he calls a game. And I'm also curious about you know the personnel the Browns use. Uh, I've seen a lot of information out there that has stated that Baker Mayfield is a lot better when the personnel is heavier, right? When you're running two tight ends and and you know the Browns have the personnel to do that, especially with Kareem Hunt back and and Nick Chubb, they can run two running backs a lot more. And Baker seemed to thrive when he was kind of working off play action and when you had the threat of handing the ball off to Nick Chubb and him breaking a run. And I think the Browns have gotten away from that with, you know, bringing in Beckham, bringing in Landry and, and doing a lot more three receiver stuff 
And, and so I think that's part of it too. Maybe they just aren't playing to Baker Mayfield's strengths enough. Yeah, I think there are, are also a number of factors why Baker is at the bottom of the barrel statistically uh, in terms of rating and completion percentage. Yep. I mean, come on. Baker Mayfield should not be last in the NFL in completion percentage. <laughs> with, ludicrous. Right? With OBJ, with the tight ends that he has, with Jarvis Landry. Uh, now, they have struggled all season long with their third receiver, and we've talked about that before. It hasn't helped that Rashard Higgins got himself into the doghouse and can't get out. So there's been a lack of consistency there. Antonio Callaway was supposed to take that big step up this year. David Njoku has not been around. They did have bigger expectations for him. But once again, you see other teams plug and play uh, young guys that, um, you know, make an impact and they make plays. So when you've got the top two guys like Jarvis and OBJ, you should be able to to get something out of the Damian Ratleys and the Kadero Hodges if that's all you have left. Um, so that's one thing, the lack of continuity at the skill positions. Uh, but then I've talked to a number of people that have watched Baker. They say that uh, that his footwork is completely off and that that is why he is sailing his passes this year. His his pass he's not as accurate. Yeah. Um, so that's what, people are telling me that that his uh, footwork is bad this year. Um, that he's locking on to a guy. Uh, that he's and we've seen this. You know, you watch the film over again, yeah. and I mean, he's not seeing the open man. Right. Um, he, you know, that that's probably been one of the biggest things is that he's not seeing it. He doesn't seem to be seeing it as well. Yeah. But once again. Uh, as Dan pointed out again, you know, last year when when he was lighting it up, it was two times against the Bengals. It was against the Falcons' horrible defense. It was against the Panthers. The Panthers should have won that game if Cam Newton had been able to to throw the ball into the end zone from four yards out. <laughs> um, the the Broncos, uh, the Broncos were down to no cornerbacks in that game, or they were playing safeties at cornerback. Uh, so there were some extenuating circumstances. And this year, it just hasn't come together. I think play scheming it up and play calling have been huge issues this whole entire season. I mean, you know, we've seen it in the red zone. You can't be this bad in the red zone with this much talent. Right. I mean, you just can't be. And um, so there have been a lot of reasons, but just from a mechanical stand standpoint, there are some things going on with Baker. Yeah, and that it's glaring on the tape, Mary Kay, as you said. Uh, some of these throws that get away from him, you're like, that doesn't look like the Baker Mayfield even last year, or the guy that you know went won the Heisman and right. literally his his crowning jewel was the, the accuracy, the zip he puts on the ball and putting yes. it in there. Um, we're seeing now not only the fastballs coming back again but it's so off target now you think of the pick he threw on Sunday and he talked about after the game saying uh, he should have waited for the deep end to come right and I mean that's just a, a really off ball it's just right. it's, it's, it's just so off brand to him and this feels like uh, really just a compounded problem th- something that was poor from the the start of the year you know Tennessee did not not get off to a good start obviously and then it's really just snowballed from here and now we're looking at a guy who probably has lost confidence uh just in this season as a whole uh the the whole Odell Beckham shadow I I can't imagine what that's like for a quarterback dealing with an enigma that is Odell Beckham Jr. um when you can flip on a Madden game and probably have Baker Mayfield connect with Odell Beckham all the time and then he's dealing with like Oh well, if I had Odell, this offense would look like this. You know, it's like it, it has got to be so confusing to someone in that system why 
this version of this offense looks the way it does. But here we are. These are the real problems. So for Baker Mayfield going forward, I'm wondering, is this something where it's an off-season of correction? Does there need to be changes with the people around him? How does a second-year quarterback um, shake this off? Because the biggest fear is losing him, of course, and not to another team, but just losing and destroying what is your first overall pick and essentially what's going to be the future of this franchise. How do you correct something so delicate and now it seems so fragile also? Well, they have to overhaul the offensive process. I mean, I've talked to enough people that talk about how dysfunctional it is, and we can see uh, that manifest in certain things like not being able to get the plays in on time and not getting not guys not getting lined up correctly, Jarvis Landry calling timeouts uh, to correct (laughs) – to avert disasters. Uh, So the offensive process is flawed. There's a disconnect, and I wrote about this on Saturday. There's a disconnect between Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens. I mean, whatever it is, we don't really know because uh, it's hard to pin that down, but there's something that's not right between those two. And, um, you know, just the way that that it is all being worked on, coached, schemed up during the week, and then translating to the football field is not working right. So what John Dorsey is going to have to do in the offseason, he's going to have to decide, first of all, is Freddie Kitchens the right head coach for this football team? Is I don't see Freddie being the head coach and Todd Munkin being the offensive coordinator right. next year. I mean, however they're going to change that up, that's going to change somehow. So there will be changes in in the offensive staff. There, there has to be. I mean, there's just no way uh, that you can be last in the, you know, amongst the uh, the bottom feeders in red zone, yeah. third down, points scored, Baker Mayfield, o- Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, it's just, it's not working right. And they, they have to fix it, whether they, whether they get a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, a new play caller, whatever. Yeah. And, and next year is a huge year for Baker Mayfield because it's year three. So after year three, you're eligible for that first extension. So the Browns have, you know, they don't have to make a decision on that necessarily, but you'd like to come out of that and say, okay, we're ready. Let's give Baker Mayfield all that money now. Let's give him that, you know, whoever, throw it out there, that that big extension that you give to your the franchise Carson quarterback. Wentz money, the Jared yeah, Goff money. Yeah, even if it's Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, whatever. It's huge. And the other thing you have to do next year, next offseason, is decide on that fifth-year option. Now, it would be a shock if the Browns didn't pick up that fifth-year option, regardless of how Baker Mayfield plays. You don't normally pick a guy number one as your quarterback. I mean, Tampa Bay picked up Jameis's fifth-year option, yeah. right? Could you but imagine? you'd like to have you'd like to have some answers beyond that. You'd like to just make that a formality and not have it be like, eh, well, let's see what happens after year five. So you want to be able to start talking extension next year, and you want to be able to pick up that fifth-year option with the confidence that it's going to be a lot longer than that with him. And if if you don't have the right structure around him, you're gonna be we're gonna be right back here asking the same questions about Baker Mayfield. And I, I think he's too talented to be doing that again. I think he's got a chance to be, you know, if he's not a great quarterback, he's got a chance to at the very least be a good quarterback that you can build a really good offense around. And and I think the ceiling is still really high to where he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But we've got to start to see that in year three. Yeah, and and we will talk about this more as as this pod goes on, but uh, you know some of this might have to happen without Odell Beckham Jr. Because as we have found out, obviously in the last uh, week or so, there's a chance he's not going to be back here next year. And I think in order for him to be back here next year, uh, he's going to want to know that 
some changes are going to be made and they're going to get to winning in a hurry. Uh, so the Baker Mayfield stuff is, you know, he's he's probably going to have to come back here next year. I don't want to say probably, but he might have to come back here next year and try to do what you're saying, Dan, rebuild his career, Baker's career, uh, without OBJ, which means, okay, what are they going to do? Are they going to um, draft a wide receiver high or sign one in free agency? Uh it, it seems to me that they need an upgrade or an overhaul now in the receiving core, too. Yeah, a lot of question marks there. Mary Kay, that's a great segue. We've done the, the state of the Browns as a whole, you know, basically did the state of Baker Mayfield there. Let's go for the trifecta and hit the state of Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. Of course, reports coming out, um, most notably Jay Glazer's report Sunday saying Odell Beckham Jr. wants out of Cleveland. He's been telling players, come get me, coaches, things like that. Uh, simply... How unhappy is he right now? I mean, is he just a guy? I, if you guys didn't see the press or the, his presser after the game, the big blue hoodie over his head, he mm-hmm. was just so somber and monotone and just, and they won. And he just was so dejected like that. So simply, how unhappy is he? And you already alluded to Mary Kay, but is he going to be a Brown in 2020? Well, if you go back to, I, I wrote a column on November 6th, say, basically laying it all out and saying that if things didn't change in a hurry, that OBJ was not going to want to be here after this season. Uh, the reason why I wrote that back then is because, uh, you know, I had talked to enough people and added up, put everything in the hopper and realized that, you know, you don't get your way out of New York by sitting down with Josina and little Wayne (laughs) so that you could come into a situation that's worse for you. Right. Not only that, as we well know, he didn't want to come here in the first place. He had to be dragged here. Basically he had to wrap his brain around coming to Cleveland. And if you're going to come to Cleveland, when you're an LA kind of guy, a Paris kind of guy and a New York kind of guy, it's got to be really good here. Yeah. It's got to be really good. You have to be winning. You got to be happy. You've got to be having off the chart stats. You've got to be going to a Pro Bowl and hopefully a Super Bowl. You got to be going back to the playoffs. Not having three games where you only get two catches. Having three games where you have yardage in the twenties. That never happened in New York. Yeah. Ever. And he wasn't happy there. <laughs> so why did we think that he would be happy here? When everything was worse and he wasn't even in the Big Apple, right? Yeah, no, it's shocking. So there's no way that he would. I mean, the only thing keeping him happy here right now is Jarvis. And I will tell you, he wanted to, to have this work. He really did. You know, once he got sold on the idea of of bringing a championship to the city of Cleveland with Jarvis, he got excited about that. Because he thought, you know, this is going to be great for our careers. We're going to do some, going to do something really special, a once in a lifetime thing together. And I think he really got on board with that. And once it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen, and not only that, that he had no chemistry whatsoever with Baker Mayfield. I mean, none. I mean, Baker doesn't look to him at yeah. times when he should. Yeah. I don't think. He does trust him wholeheartedly on the football field. He said today he trusts him wholeheartedly. And I think he meant in terms of like whether or not he is out there telling people, come and get me. But he doesn't trust him on the football field. He doesn't trust him to be where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. And that's what Baker wants. We, heard, we saw uh, a sneak preview of this in training camp when he yelled at him on the scramble mm-hmm. drill for not 
coming back to the ball in the scramble drill. And I just don't think Baker loves OBJ's way of, of trying to get open. Yeah, the freelancing. The does. freelancing. Yeah. That's what he is. He's an artist. Yep. He's an artist in more ways than one. He runs around and figures out a way to get open, and then he wants to look back and see the ball coming his way. That's not how Baker operates. Right. So I think once he figured out that these two together weren't going to be making the beautiful music that he thought they were going to be making, you know, he wanted to get a, away from Eli, not just get away from Eli. He wanted to be with somebody amazing that could get him the ball deep and everywhere on the field and have this be, have him light it up and cement his legacy and do all these great things. Once he realized that wasn't going to happen, the bloom's off the rose. Yeah. And I don't see it coming back on anytime soon. So I'm going to, there's another part of this too. Okay. It goes again, back to that scheme and coaching. So I, I did the post on the screen to Jarvis um, that the Browns threw. It was a third and 10. They drew up this little screenplay to Jarvis. Uh, it worked great. Got him 34 yards or whatever it was, 37, something like that. Big play set up the, the game clinching field goal on Sunday. And someone tweeted a reply to that post. So why can't the Browns draw a play up like this for Odell? Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking, like, if Odell would have run that play, probably would have gone to the house because Odell is fast. Jarvis is not the fastest guy in the world. We mm -hmm. see Jarvis get caught sometimes on plays like that. Odell right. takes that to the house. Uh, you know, we saw it in week two against the Jets. Hit him on a slant. Yep. He's gone. And we're not seeing little... It seems like a lot of times they're lining Odell up out wide and sending him on a go or, or something like that. Or they're sending him deep across the middle and maybe he's getting open, but there, there's nothing quick. There's no screen set up for him. There's nothing like outside of maybe a, a quick little pass to the sideline. There's nothing like we're going to get the ball in your hands quickly right. moving forward and then you're going to make something happen, which right. is what he did really well in New York. And so it, it just kind of got me thinking when I saw that Twitter reply. I try not to pay too much attention to Twitter replies, <laughs> but that one got me thinking, you know, why don't you run that play for Odell Beckham like three times, they four should. times? Right. Like, run these quick little screens for him, not not these bubble screens where he's going towards the sideline or going backwards, get him moving forward, put defenses on their heels and, and try and get him moving in space a little bit. And, you know, the other thing they should do, and you're very right about that, that's, they should be doing that. Um, 100% they should be doing that. And they should be, if for some reason he doesn't know the offense as well as he should and he and Baker aren't, you know, nuanced as well as they should be, you need to find five things that he can do really well. Find five things that OBJ feels super comfortable with and do those things. Sit down with him and ask him, what do you want to do in this game? Go, you know, go over the film with him and, and find the things that can help him shine and gain some confidence and get him involved as early as possible, which they did in this game. They got him the ball in the very first play. And then that was, that yeah, was it. it. That was it. And you know what? If a few passes fall incomplete or he gets a few knocked away, don't give up on him. You know, right. don't give up on him. The only way Baker and Odell are going to figure out what works for them is to continue to rep it over and over and over. And in these last three games, hopefully they'll do more of that because uh, they have to find out if if they're going to be able to salvage this going forward. So I think they should try to get the ball to him early and often in these three games. Again, they're playing some bad defenses. Yep. It's, it's an opportunity to pad the stats a little bit against a poor secondary coming up. Uh, maybe do do the same thing again against the Bengals and uh, and see if you can't just get generate something between these two. Some some 
positivity, you know, make OBJ want to come back here and right. see that, hey, there is potential here and we are going to work well together. Yep. Uh, I want to ask you guys quickly, regardless of what happens on the field, Imagine you're John Dorsey. What are his real options here? I know in Odell's contract, there's like a $2.7 million out or something like that. But he, I mean, if that isn't the case, then he has like four years, six years remaining. Um, cutting OBJ sounds crazy. <laughs> um, trading him, you know, you think of Antonio Brown, who was dealt last offseason. I think the Steelers got like a third and a fifth back for that, something like that. Either way, you slice it, it sounds like John Dorsey is gonna take a loss here so if you just put on the gm cap how do you handle this odell beckham situation you know regardless of what happens these next three games just from a a roster building standpoint you think i still think you would be able to get a first round pick and more for odell beckham jr i don't think that this season in cleveland is going to diminish his value enough that you cannot get a first round pick for him okay so absolutely 100 percent I think that you can recoup what you gave up for him. I mean, really, Jabril Peppers and a third-round pick, you're not going to have to worry too, too much about that. I think they can get a first and more. I think he can be the final piece to the puzzle for some teams. I think teams like the Patriots uh, would would love to have an OBJ you know, or the 49ers or whatever. I mean, what what's going to happen is someone's going to have to pay him, though. I mean, he is going to want to redo that contract so that he has more guaranteed money now because he's out of guaranteed money. From a financial standpoint, the Browns don't have to worry about it at all. I right. mean, they're done. They didn't – I mean, they paid him this year, and that that was it. They don't have any more dead money on the cap after this year. So they can get out from underneath that contract with no financial hit whatsoever. So if he is truly unhappy – I'm sure I've heard people say – well, you don't you don't want to trade OBJ, you know, just because you know don't do that. You know, you would want to keep him here. No, you wouldn't. You right. don't want to keep an unhappy, disgruntled superstar. You don't want that. And I wrote this in the first column that I did on this. Players are controlling their own destiny right now. They are taking matters into our their own hands. And OBJ said to me that one day, and I wrote it: twenty twenty is going to be the best year of my life. I feel like he has something in mind when he says that. Maybe it's that he's going to win a Super Bowl in Cleveland. Maybe that's what he means. Or maybe he means I'm going to go somewhere that I really want to be. And when I sat down with ESPN and basically said, I would like something magical to happen in my career, maybe he's going to try to make that thing happen. And my gut tells me that's more what he's thinking. Sure. And, and the one thing that I wouldn't do if I were John Dorsey is – I want to figure out, like, let's say they do make a coaching change. I want to see if this new coach can, you know, sit down with Odell and say, hey, this is the plan for you. This is how the offense is going to look. We're going to throw last year away and at least see if Odell connects with this coach and, you know, wants to still be a part of things here in Cleveland. And and maybe that changes his perspective on things. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the first thing that has to happen. And the other thing we've seen with John Dorsey, he's not in any rush. He did it with Duke Johnson. Now, Duke Johnson is not Odell Beckham, but he's not in any rush. He waited, and he got exactly what he got. A third-round pick, it turns out, for mm-hmm. Duke Johnson, which is insane it's that he great. got a third-round pick for a running back. It's great. If Odell wants out, you're not going to do anything until after the season anyway. Right. You've got you seven months 
before really anything's going to come to a head here. He, he doesn't have to show up in the spring. It'll be a topic of conversation, but it is what it is. You've got a lot of time to deal with this. And, and I do think if they decide to make some kind of change, even if they don't make a coaching change and they just bring in a new offensive coordinator or something like that, I think you need to at least take a shot to see if that person can maybe repair whatever relationship needs to be repaired. I, I think that, uh, like you said, Dan, first of all, OBJ would have to have some assurance that there is going to be a change in how the offense is run. Somehow, some way, he would have to get really, really excited about who is designing the offense and calling it. Yeah, let's, because, like, right? let, let's say, I mean, to start on name, let's say Josh McDaniels. Right. Right. From the Patriots, the right. guy that we know has, has put together great offenses. Right. So, number one, he'd have to know that, that somebody like a Josh McDaniels was going to come in and save the day uh, with a really intelligent scheme. One thing we know about Odell Beckham Jr. so far, he admires the Bill Belichick minds of the NFL. Yep. He admires the Sean McVay minds, the Kyle Shanahan's. That's what he likes, okay? And that's what he's going to require. And I think he's going to see to it that he's working with one of those guys. The other thing is he has to know that it's going to get better between him and Baker. And that's why they have to demonstrate that in these last three games. Because if he doesn't see the light at the end of that tunnel, he's going to want to go be with a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Tom Brady or a Deshaun Watson or someone like that. Because for whatever reason, right now, you know, Baker isn't the elite quarterback at this particular time in his career that it looked like he was going to be. Is that because a lot of people that I've talked to in the NFL, they believe it's because of the scheme and the play calling and the coaching right now. They st- a lot of people still think that he can be everything everybody thought he was going to be. You're going to have to convince Odell that he can be, and you're going to have to convince Odell that Baker and Odell are going to be able to, their, their styles are going to mesh. If you can do all of that, then I'm saying there's a chance. I'm going to, so, so you said a name out there. You, you threw a name out there. Yeah. And it got me thinking, okay, what's a team, who's a team that would be willing and they are a, a financial mess right now and they don't have any draft picks to give up. So I think it's entirely unrealistic. But there is a team in a pretty big city that Odell loves that's about to move into a new stadium that can't sell any tickets. Their offense is pretty stagnant. And you said the name Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. You, that, that's probably the type of match you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, that's a team that, uh, again, they don't have the assets to give up unless they want to give up players. And I don't know if there's players the Browns would want to take from them. Mm-hmm. You know, they've traded away a bunch of first-round picks. You know, But that that's sort of the match you're looking for if you're John Dorsey. And you are going to trade Odell Beckham and a team – like the LA Rams mm-hmm. who need to sell tickets and need to get people in that brand new stadium and need to make LA a, a destination market in the NFL, like the league wants, mm-hmm. you know, the, that's the type of team that, that would be desperate enough to do it. I just, I don't know that they could pull it off, obviously, you know, just looking at what they have, but th- those are the sorts of situations to, to look for if you are looking ahead and just assuming the Browns would trade him. Right. And he lives there uh, in in the off season. Uh, He lives in LA. He's like we said before, he's an LA kind of guy. He has established really strong relationships, uh, just off the field sort of friendships with a guy like a Sean McVay. I mean, they know each other. They praised each other leading up to the, you know, leading up to games and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I would think that he would love a situation like that. 
I, of course, Kyle Shanahan, right? Kyle Shanahan uh, has been effusive in his praise. And we know, I mean, Odell almost did a public service announcement before the Patriots game about how much he would like to play for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And if Tom, you know, Tom Brady would really thrive with, with a guy like that, if they could figure out a way to pull that off. And, and I think quite frankly, that's what their offense is missing right now. They know it. Odell knows it. Everybody knows it. So I think a lot can happen. Uh, I really think that that he's going to try to find a way to end up with one of those elite coaches and elite quarterbacks. Yep. Well, if it doesn't happen in the offseason and Odell Beckham Jr. is back here next year and things status quo remains, then it's going to be a, a wild trade deadline next year. I <laughs> sure promise you that. Um, you know, saying we got to wait and see feels like a bit of a cop out, but it really, in this situation, it, it is the, it's the reality we're faced with. The Browns have three games left as Mary Kay has been saying, they got to try and show him, show him something here in these last three games. And then we've got a long off season as Dan was saying, and then there's nothing stopping John Dorsey from just bringing him back. And we do this all again at the trade deadline next October. So we're going to say it's a wait and see type of situation. But definitely a lot to follow as it's Odell Beckham Jr. And the mystery continues as to why this offense can't get rolling with him. All right, listeners, uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, We'll be right back. We're going to come back with Football Insider questions and much more. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams, joined as always by Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Before we get into your Football Insider questions, here's Mary Kay to tell you about how you can get signed up. Well, for $3.99 only a month, uh, we have some very, very special things for you. Every single day we have uh, an exclusive piece of content. Each one of us, uh, we all pitch in on that. Uh, Analysis, some uh, things that we've learned from film review, all different kinds of things that we have for you that you won't find anywhere else on the site. In addition to that, uh, you can get texts sent directly to your phone from all four of us, Ellis, Dan, me, Scott, uh, and those are analysis, thoughts, and different things uh, that you will see from us each day. So click on the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns and sign up. Simple as that. And that is how you get your questions here. Like this question from the 216 asking, do you guys think Nick Chubb's going to win the rushing title? He's got a great shot to do so, but guys like Derrick Henry in Tennessee are creeping up on him. Is this his to lose? What do you guys think? funny that person should ask that i'm actually going to post an article about that looking at kind of the three contenders for the title right now there's three guys over 1200 yards uh it's chubb henry and christian mccaffrey uh if i had to make a prediction right now i apologize browns fans i think i would go with derrick henry he's absolutely on a tear right now uh he's trending upwards and i think chubb you know he's he's got to split carries with kareem hunt a little bit even though kareem hunt isn't getting a ton of carries uh he's got to split He's got to split touches with Hunt and Odell and Jarvis Landry and, and a bunch of other guys. And I think Tennessee is going to lean very heavily on Derrick Henry over these last three games while they fight for a playoff spot. So I think it's going to be a good finish. I, I think Henry might end up winning out, but it's not going to be it's not going to have anything to do with Nick Chubb. It's just going to be with Derrick Henry is going to be sort of the focal point. And I think Chubb is still, you know, if Freddie Kitchens runs him three times and a half, he's not going to win the rushing title. Now, you were citing some really interesting statistics in the press room today about Derrick Henry's average over the last four games, and they are eye-popping. He is, yeah, over the last four. 
Uh, so here's two numbers. Over the last five, 99 for 662. That includes a 63-yard game. So over his last four, uh, I've got that in here somewhere. Uh, it's it's even better than that. 599 yards in his last four games, which projects to, if you did that over 16 games, you'd rush for 2,300 yards, almost 2,400 yards, which would just shatter the NFL rushing record, that's which is inc- like 2,105, I think. That's absolutely incredible, and I think <laughs> that's why you have kind of come to the conclusion that it's going to if, be hard to, to keep Nick at the top. Yeah, if, if Henry keeps rolling and they keep handing the ball to him, and you know, we know that Freddie gets a little bit distracted when it comes to running the football. Uh, but listen, it wouldn't shock me if Chubb won the thing too because he's just had that, that kind of year for this team. And that would be so nice for him if he did because – uh, he's just been amazing this year. He's been so fun to watch. He's been the bright spot in an otherwise disappointing season. Completely. And um, my MV- he has my vote for Browns MVP. Yeah, same here. And that's something these old linemen take real pride in. You know, Joel Batonio today mentioned that it's not necessarily on their mind, but he was real in saying that's something they can look back on and hold on to. So, um, Dan, I think there's something to that. If it's gonna, if what's going to stop Nick Chubb is not Nick Chubb in this offensive line. It's just how Freddie Kitchens decides to distribute the football, which is the case when he only had 15 carries against uh, one of the worst rushing defenses in the league last week. Our next question from 412 asking, what was up with Baker Mayfield throwing the Browns medical staff under the bus regarding the Odell Beckham sports hernia situation? Does he just not really think before he speaks or what's going on with that? I think in his attempt to defend OBJ, he accidentally threw the medical staff under the bus. I don't think he set out to do that. Uh, You know, sometimes he just shoots from the hip, and I think that was one of those situations. I think the good part about it is that he came back very quickly on Twitter and apologized for it. And I saw, like Brady Quinn said, well, it doesn't matter, you said what you said. Well, on one hand, you know, I, I agree with that. He said what he said. But there is something to be said for apologizing, for coming out very swiftly and saying, I was wrong and I take this back, and, and he did that. And not only that, then today he actually talked directly to people, not today, but he told us today that this week he talked directly to members of the medical staff. But I think Baker is learning. Remember, he's only 24. When We talked to him about Cliff Kingsbury today and, and how they got into it when they were, yeah. and he was like, 18-year-old <laughs> Baker didn't, doesn't, you know, maybe doesn't know everything. Well, I think 27-year-old Baker is going to look back on 24-year-old <laughs> Baker and think that, hmm, you know, maybe I could have buttoned my lip along the way on certain things as well. Yeah, there comes a point in your career as a quarterback when you can be the the elder statesman and you can kind of say whatever you want and you can have an opinion on whatever you want and it's going to be, oh, we're, we're going to listen to this guy because this guy's been around. Baker's not there yet. He's in year two, and, and I agree kind of with what you said there at the beginning. I think it was an attempt by him to sort of defend his guy and show Odell Beckham, hey, I'm in your corner. You know, I, I get it, and this is how it should have been handled, and it's not your fault. And unfortunately, there's certain people you don't go after, and the training staff is one of them. I also thought it was interesting that Freddie Kitchens opened his Monday presser with a, uh, a statement basically about it, which I think is the first time we've really seen him come out and open a press conference by making a statement about an issue that was going on. So that, so that should tell you all you need to know about uh, how, how they felt about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that is part of the football team and a big part of a fo- the football team, an important part. And you've got guys like J.C. Treader that needed – every ounce of help he could get from the medical staff to get on the field in the last 10 games of last season uh, with a high ankle sprain. I mean, that is 
that's family. That's your yeah. football family. And I think he learned a hard lesson this week. Yeah, I, I've watched that presser a few times now. I mean, I, I was there and when it happened live, it caught everyone in the room, kind of had to do a double take. But then when you rewatch it, you see Baker's eyes kind of jump when he says it. Like he knows right away, like, oh man, like what did I just do here? So you could tell he now and then re-engineering with the ap- apology and the tweet. Um, look, I, I think this is just what you get with Baker Mayfield as he matures. Hopefully you see less of it, but he just shoots from the hip. And as you said, Mary Kay, he really, this was about going to bat for Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. And had nothing to do with the medical staff right. until it did. He was trying to, to stand up for Odell Beckham after the, the reports and the, the sports hernia and yada, yada, um, and he just he slipped up, and again, I think this is what you get from a guy who's 24, shoots from the hip, and we've seen stuff like this before, and it's it's just another situation where it happened. Having said that, though, uh, it seems like the shift in OBJ's frustration with this season is the focus now suddenly is on that he's frustrated because of this groin injury, and I don't think that's why OBJ has been frustrated all season. OBJ is frustrated, and we see it all the time, because... He's not getting the ball in situations where he feels like he should be getting the ball, including in the end zone, including in the red zone, and including when he has to step on his man in single coverage. So, you know, it's just interesting that there's been a little paradigm shift over to he's frustrated because he's got a groin injury. (laughs) And I just don't really think that tells the story. Oh, I couldn't agree more because it's interesting. We hear Freddie Kitchens talk about injuries when it came to Rashard or David Njoku, like, you know, there's a difference between hurt and injured. Uh, these guys are basically not healthy from the start of training camp, which sounds like Odell Beckham's case here. But he's out there. He hasn't missed a game. And the product still is what it is. So let's not build this uh, sports hernia injury up up too much. The results still are what they are. Right. Can, can we make one point, though, about Odell? I, th- I think we need to make it. And I, I've tried to be careful about this whenever I've, I've talked about him. Mm-hmm. For everything we've said about him, when I watch, the effort is still there. Oh, yeah. Every single play, yes. every single snap. I mean, the effort is there. So Definitely. we talk about the body language. We talk about him maybe not being happy here. But, you know, go back and watch that Nick Chubb run. Yes. He's blocking at the line. He's downfield blocking. You know, the Jarvis screen. He's downfield blocking his man. So, you know, the effort has certainly been there. So I, I, I do think that's that's something we do need to point out as we, yes. as we talk about Odell in this light is that, uh, no, no one is questioning his effort. No right. one is questioning his his want to. It, it just hasn't. The chemistry hasn't worked on the field and clearly off the field. Um, he's def- at least, at the very least, not very sure about this situation. I still think his speed is there too. Yeah, yeah. and his leaping ability. So I, I don't think that you know he's getting to game day healthy enough to contribute in a big way. Yep. And I think that should also be remembered. You know, just quickly. If we're going to talk about winners from this Brown season, not on the field, but off it, it's really got to, one of them has to be Odo Beckham Jr. really reshaping his image, you right. know, in, in almost like a, a Justin Bieber way, you know, who, mm-hmm. you know, younger, uh, made some mistakes, punching, kicking nets. Uh, now he's really come here and been a stand up teammate yep. uh, and a leader in that locker room. Um, so he's really come out a winner here. And you know what? If he punched a kicking net on Sunday in Arizona because <laughs> things were going right, I don't think anyone would blame him, right? Right. Absolutely. But yes, I do think he's matured in that way, and he's made a concerted effort to do so. And I think for everything that's gone on, I think he's handled it very well. Yep. All right, we got one more question here from the 561 asking, you know, 
Kingsbury and Baker Mayfield have history. Is this another situation where we could see Baker use this past with a coach who may have cited him and use it as ammunition and fuel or a chip on his shoulder? Unfortunately, I don't think that there's enough left between Cliff and Baker for him to use that in this game. I even asked him that today. I said, did you guys bury the hatchet just a little too soon? I mean, would you have liked to have had a little bit of that, uh, you know, chip on your shoulder for this game? And he said, well, for me, this game is more me versus Kyler and bragging rights for this game because, of course, he was his understudy at Oklahoma. Uh, He followed him there. He followed him in terms of number one overall pick, Heisman Trophy winner. Those guys are friends. They have some witty banter going back and forth this week. And uh, so I think he's going to try to get himself his game face on that way. I don't think there's enough with the Cliff feud. They've buried the hatchet, and I I just don't think it's there anymore. You know who I'm most curious about is Freddie because he was there. It, it, you know, there were some things that happened there that, that he didn't love it. And he ended up in Cleveland. Now he's the play caller. Uh, he's the head coach. I'm sure he's going to Arizona and I, you know, not, not everyone is there that, that used to be there, but you know, the GM is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind, you know, sticking it to those guys. I'm curious to see how he responds. You know, is he going to be willing to turn and hand the ball off to Nick Chubb 20 times a game? Oh, or is he going to want to, is he going to want to show, is he going to want to show these guys like, Hey, look what I can do. You know, look at my play calling. I'm curious to see how Freddie responds. I, I think he's the one. If Baker has a chip on his shoulder, that's a good thing. Baker always plays better when there's a chip on his shoulder. I'm curious to see how Freddie responds in this moment. Well, yeah, because they overlooked him when they had to hire a, a new coach when Bruce Arians was fired. You know, yeah. they didn't give him a look. Uh, they hired Steve Wilkes, who also might have a little bit of an axe <laughs> to grind for this game. So there are storylines aplenty heading into Arizona. Don't forget Ricky Seals Jones. <laughs> Ricky Seals. How about how about Zane Gonzalez? Oh my Uh-oh. goodness, <laughs> Zane cut by the Browns after missing all those kicks in New Orleans. And Drew Stanton going Drew back. Stanton's home. Oh, going home. Uh, Andy Lee. Oh my goodness. We got this revenge just... games all over the place. <laughs> That's right. It's gonna be wild in the desert. All right, listen, listeners. Uh, we went a little long at the top here, so we're gonna wrap this up quickly. Um, with what's cooking, we got uh, in our Football Insider newsletter. Uh, we provide uh, exclusive content only you guys get coming up here. Uh, I'll have a preview on parts of the Arizona Cardinals offense, specifically their running back situation. Uh, you know, David Johnson was the household name there for a long time. Then they trade for Kenyon Drake. Uh, just it's been interesting to follow what's going on there. So I'll break that down for, for our subscribers to get exclusive content there. Uh, before we leave, your guys' thoughts on this one in Arizona. Which way do you think this lands for the Browns? I'm going to pick the Browns. I haven't come up with a score yet. I don't know if I'm going to pick like a two-score game or a close game. I have to kind of think through that a little bit, but I am going to pick the Browns. I'm going to pick the Browns as well. I just think that um, offensively they should be able to do some things and rack up some yardage against this defense, and I think they'll be able to be successful both in the run game, the pass game, and I just don't think the Cardinals are going to have it. Yeah, I'm going to pick the Browns only because this is gut check time. Uh, The playoff situation is what it is. We're going to find out if these players want to play for Freddie Kitchens and go down there and win him a football game. So I'm going to take the Browns there. Um, All right, listeners, we're going to wrap up. Uh, Don't forget Football Insider. Click on the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash Browns to sign up, get that exclusive content, and get your questions on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So for myself, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, we're signing off. Thanks for listening, y'all. Take care.